0: I have entitled the message for this time, The Internal Evidence of the New Birth. We are working our way through the Gospel of John, taking our time, letting it unfold before us as we approach it. And we have had a few studies together already. We've been studying about Jesus Christ. Already my understanding of Him has grown, and I thank God so much for Jesus. It's important, I think, to know that in chapter 1, what John is doing is he is laying out an introduction for the book. It's something like when you drive down the freeway and you see those big signs, those big green signs with the white letters. Well, John lays out a bunch of signposts, a number of them in the chapter before us, so that we know where we're going. And I want to read for you the verses we're going to look at this time. Comment a little bit on verses 10 and 11, a very little. And then we're going to focus on verses 12 and 13, and really specifically this time verse 12. But John says in verse 10, speaking of Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. And He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Probably one of the most tragic couple of sentences that have ever been written in the history of the human race. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. Now John is going to explain that for the rest of the book. He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. He's going to explain that too. But just imagine that He was in the world and the world was made through Him. Imagine Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. He is the Creator. He knows the fish in there. He looks around. He sees the hills, the plants and all that are indigenous to that area. He understood the molecular structure of all of the plants and rocks and everything else. He was the Creator. The world was made through Him. And yet, as He walks through the world, the world did not know Him. They looked upon him as a man, but for the most part, and for most of the people, that's all they looked upon him as, was a man. And he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to the human race, they didn't receive him in a sense. He came more specifically to his own chosen people, the Jews, and they did not receive him, and worse than that, they crucified him. Two of the most tragic sentences you will ever read and print anywhere in all of life. But I want to focus for this time, and we will unravel the rest of those truths as we get into John, but I want to focus for this time on verses 12 and 13, where John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I told you last time, That we were going to have to spend time on these verses because they are so rich. And we're going to spend our time this time together on verse 12. Next time we'll go on and we'll take another pass at these verses and see what else God has for us here. But I want to draw out as we get into these verses basically three things. First of all, I want to focus on the fact that you are born again with internal evidence. You become a son of God. You become a child of God. Something happens inside of you. And I want to suggest to you seven things today that happen inside of you when you become a son of God or a child of God. Secondly, in this text, we'll see that you are born again by receiving him. We're going to talk about what that means. Now, if you know people that are not Christians or borderline Christians or carnal Christians or lukewarm Christians, this is the time for the great roundup. You bring them back next time. They need to hear what it means to receive Christ. And we're going to be talking about that. You're born again with internal evidence. You're born again by receiving him. And you're born again by his will. We'll take the last two next time. But for this time, I want to talk about this. You are born again with internal evidence. When you are born again, you become something. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, in verse 13, who were born. There's a birth that takes place here spiritually. Who were born, if you go all the way to the end of God. Children of God who were born of God. You become a child of God. Now, as I said, I don't want to make this a time of exhortation so much as a time of examination. And here's the question I pose to you today. The greatest question you could ever ask in all of life. Am I a child of God? This is the question you must ask yourself as we launch into this study. Am I a child of God or not? If I know that I'm a child of God... This is the great thing. Come what may, I know that He is with me. If you are a child of God, you have to come to the place eventually, the sooner the better, where you know that you're born again. It's important that you come to the place where you believe. It's important you come to the place where you receive Him. But beyond that, you must come to the place where you know that you're God's child. Why? Because it affects everything that happens to you in life. Turn in your Bible, could you, to Romans chapter 8 to verse 36. You see, if I know that I'm God's child without question, it affects everything that comes my way in life. It affects my attitude and the outcome of the way I face my trials, temptations, difficulties. And in Romans 8.36, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he begins to list off things that might come up in your mind that you might think could separate you from the love of Christ. He says, Shall tribulation or distress... Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. And then he says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he goes on and says in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, and that includes you because you are a created thing, I'm persuaded that none of these things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I say this to you. It is the most wonderful thing in the world to know this kind of confidence that you truly belong to God. To be able to read through Romans 8 and say, yes, I can say God is for me. To go through all the trials listed off here and to be able to know no matter what comes my way in this list, I'll never be separated from the love of God because I am His child. And for all of those people out there that would say, Well, what about me? What if I mess up? Surely I could ruin this whole thing, He says, nor any other created thing, just to take in the sweep of all humanity in case you think you could ruin God's plan. And so this confidence that comes from truly knowing you are God's child. Now, I want to suggest to you seven things that take place within you If you truly become born again, these things must be there in your life to some degree. Now notice I said to some degree. I didn't say perfectly, I said to some degree. And I want to be careful tonight with the terms. I don't want to leave anybody discouraged when they shouldn't be discouraged. But if you need to be discouraged because you're really not God's child, you need to see it along the way as well. To begin with, if you have become a child of God, to them who believed on Him and received Him, He gave the right to become a child of God. If you've truly become a child of God, number one, you will have a sense of belonging to God. A sense of belonging to Him. This is an awareness that comes with the new birth. We live in a day of distorted, broken homes. But if we just kind of push all that aside and go to the Bible and look at the biblical family, And take a biblical family with a mother and a father and children being born into that family. Every child born into a normal family has a very natural sense that they are part of the family. It's not something articulated necessarily in the mind of the child. It's something that's just there. It isn't something you have to be persuaded of. It's just something that's there. You know that you belong to the family. And concerning your father in a normal family... There's something about your relationship to that man that is different than any other man. I remember when I was a kid on the weekends, my dad would work around the house and build things and fix things and all of that. And he would always take me to the hardware store with him. And I remember wandering through the hardware store, following my dad around. You know, he's about 18 feet tall. And here I was looking up at him thinking he the smartest man on earth because he knew how to use a tape measure and a saw and these things and pencil, a little pencil in his ear. But I remember looking at him and looking at the other men moving around the hardware store and I knew inside of me there was something different about my relationship to this man and every other man. It was just something that was there. You see, when you're born into a normal family, you sense that you belong to the family. It's just something that is inside of you. You don't have to be persuaded of it. Now, in the very same sense with the Christian, you may not have logically articulated this to yourself. But if you've been born again, if you have been made a child of God, it's just there. You just have a sense that you belong to God, that you're one of his people. I think it's one of the greatest things in all the world. Because... You cannot have this kind of sense aside from the work of the Holy Spirit. Now there's lots of religions in the world that point you to God, right? Quote God. There are a lot of people that think they believe in the right God. There are a lot of people that have a dogma, a series of teachings that they subscribe to. But the only people on earth who can walk around with a sense in their hearts that they belong to God and have it be a true sense are Christians. Those that have been given the right Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to become children of God. There's many expressions of this in the Bible, how the Holy Spirit works this sense in you. In Romans 8.15, if you're still lurking around Romans, you could look at Romans 8.15 with me. And here Paul says that you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear or a spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. What Paul is saying there is this. There's something that happens to you when you're born again that that creates within you this sense that you're in the family. And I can remember when I first became born again, one of the greatest things that happened to me was this. I had three false starts as a Christian. Three false starts. You know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is that three times I bowed my head and prayed for Christ to come into my life. Three times. The main emphasis of the prayer was, Lord, forgive me for my sins. That was the main emphasis of the prayer. I did it one time. The next day I went out and proceeded as usual with my life. There was absolutely no change at all. Time went by. I prayed it again. Went out the next day. No change in my life at all. A little while went by farther. And one night I was very, very drunk. I was as drunk as a person can be and still be conscious And I sat down and prayed with a group of Christians to ask Christ into my life. Then I began to weep and cry and tell them how glad I was that I had finally surrendered my life to Christ. Next day, I woke up in the morning, lit up a joint, smoked it, went off into my day as usual, high as a kite and with no intention whatsoever of serving Christ. Only a regret in my heart that I had prayed that prayer while I was drunk and how I was embarrassed in front of these people. Three false starts. No intention to serve God, but really just a guilt, wanting that guilt to be cleansed. And I never felt good around God's people. There was always an uneasiness. Even the ones that were my old friends that I grew up with, that that I used to sell drugs with, that I used to get in fights with. All of these guys would come around, and even though I had known them, I was uneasy with them. Until the day that I went in my room and sat down and gave my heart to Jesus Christ and said, This time I want you to be the Lord of my life. This time I'm giving you my life. Now you take it and you do whatever you want to do with it. I surrender to you. Yes, I want my sin forgiven, but I want to change. I want to leave it behind. And suddenly God came to live inside of me. It was as clear and real and vibrant as any thing could ever possibly be. That night I went to a church. There were about 30 Christians in that little church. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It'd been a long time since I'd been in a church and I walked in, there's about 30 people there and they were singing songs to the Lord. I'll tell you what, I felt like I belonged, like I had never felt a sense of belonging in my life. You see, a true child of God has a sense of belonging to God. And I remember when they all prayed for me and asked God to bless me and keep me in the Christian life and I just felt their love and the warmth of God's love. I've been feeling that love from that day until this. And now I feel that I belong with all of you. See, that's why I have a real hard time with people who pray a prayer, walk an aisle or whatever, and have no desire to go to church. Because from the moment I really came to know Jesus, I've been wanting to be with His people ever since. You see, God follows up on you. God puts the longing in your heart. And God grants you a sense that this is where you belong, that you belong to Him and you belong with His people. I'll tell you, even today, coming, gathering together, it's still the most wonderful thing to me to be with all of you, to sing to the Lord, to worship Him, to study the Word of God together. This is where I belong. I think many of you know the feeling of drifting before you come to know Christ. You drifted. You went through your identity crises and all of this, wondering, where do I fit in? And finally you come to the Lord and you realize this is the end of my search. This is where it all ends and this is where it all begins at the same time. A sense of belonging to God. So you must have that if you are a Christian. Let me take you to a second test. And that is another internal evidence. A sense of your whole life being centered in God. Now I want to work this thought for a while. It is very fascinating to me that this could even happen to an individual. And yet we read in John 1.12, "...but as many as received him..." To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those that believe in his name. You become a child of God when you believe upon Jesus Christ. Did you notice it says God? We're not just talking about somebody out there. We're talking about God. God Almighty, the living God. You become a child of God. Now because of that, not only is there a sense of belonging to him... But there is this sense of your whole life becoming centered in God. Let me put it another way. There's a sense of your whole life being swallowed up by God. Let me put it a third way. There's a sense of your whole life being permeated by God. He comes to live within you. And in the process, you are given an entirely new outlook on life. And so I say to you, there is a sense of your whole life being centered in God. This is the way the Christian views life. You instinctively look out at the world around you. You look at the world within you and you view it with the sense that everything is somehow connected to God now. Everything. Stephen Charnock, great theologian of many years ago, said this about the new birth. He said, regeneration is a universal change of the whole man. It is as large and powerful in renewing the man as sin was in defacing the man. I like that. It is a universal change of the whole man. Your whole way of thinking suddenly changes. Now, it goes on to change throughout the years as God sanctifies you, but it suddenly changes right in the new birth. So that suddenly God is the center of your life and you look at everything in relationship to God. To give you a good example of how this works, I need only to draw you to the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, this was evident in the life of our Lord. There was... No part of his life that was untouched by the presence and the power of God and the control of God. His whole life was centered in God. For example, you read in John 5.36. You might want to turn there and just read it with me. He speaks of this. John 5.36. He says, But I have a greater witness than John's for the work which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do, do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Do you see that his whole life was centered in God the Father? In other words, he had no life disconnected from God the Father. He had no compartment of his heart that was disconnected from God the Father. Everything he faced, he faced in this way as it related to God the Father. Even in the greatest hour of trial and agony in his life when he was in the garden... And he was facing the whole process of becoming the sin bearer of the world. Even there he says, not my will, but your will be done, Father. His whole life was centered in God. And in a very similar way, correspondingly, and in a unique measure, because we are not Jesus Christ, we are not God come in the flesh, but correspondingly, in a parallel sense, we live a life centered in God. Now this is an amazing thing to me. Because as I lived my life before I came to know Jesus Christ, my life was connected to so many things. And it was dominated by so many things. And it was in bondage to so many things. And furthermore, it was completely compartmentalized. There were areas disconnected from other areas. I even had segments of my personality that didn't really connect with any other segments. I used to see myself as a mockingbird without a tune of my own. Spent my time trying to figure out how to imitate people. Finally, when I came to Christ, I realized I'm just who I am. I'm God's child. And now God's Spirit has come to touch every single part of my life. I'm a whole person now. I'm not all disconnected. I'm one person. And everything in my life is now connected to God through the work of His Spirit that He has sent into my heart. What a wonderful thing this is. Joseph Elaine years ago, said conversion is a deep work. It is a heart work. It goes throughout the man, through the mind, throughout the members, throughout the entire life. And that's what we're talking about. This is the glory of Christianity. It isn't just something where you're forgiven. See, I think we get the idea far too often that the important thing is you get forgiven. And from there, whatever happens is a bonus. If you go on to walk with God, hey, that is really neat. If you don't really walk with God too much, that's not that important because you've got your forgiveness and you have a ticket to heaven. No, forgiveness is only the beginning. Never to be seen as the end. It begins with forgiveness, but then you go on to a, a life that is centered in God, where there is nothing in your life that isn't connected to God. Could you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 6 to verse 3? Paul shows us here the reason why This is all true for the child of God. It is because you have been immersed into God. Romans 6, 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized? The Greek word is baptizo. It means literally to be immersed. Do you not know that as many of us as were immersed into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, here's what I want you to see, even so, we should also walk in newness of life. Here he is talking about, get your mind off water baptism. This is really a dry verse. Get your mind on what happens when you're born again. When you're born again, you come into union with God, union with Christ. Your spirit, your life is fused with His life, and actually permanently and inseparably so. From that point, what issues forth out of there is that you walk in newness of life. Your life becomes centered in God. In Galatians, I'll read it to you, chapter 4, verse 6, Paul gives us another reason why this happens. Remember now, think back. Jesus Christ's life was centered in God and controlled by God. No part of His life unconnected from God, disconnected from God. Now, one of the reasons when we become born again, our life is the same way is because we're in union now with the Spirit of God. Paul puts it in these terms in Galatians 4, 6. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, that's very similar to Romans 8, right? The verse I read you. What I want to show you here is this. Here is Christ in absolute surrender to God in a God-centered life. Flawlessly so. What causes us then to enter into a God-centered life when we're born again is that Jesus, who went back to heaven, comes back into our hearts By His Spirit, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Why? So that the same kind of life can be lived. We're never called to have a God-centered life on our own. What happens is that God produces it within us. He does inside of us what we could never do for ourselves. And He does it by the Spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, when you come to Christ and become a child of God, your whole outlook on life changes. Now, let's contrast that with the non-Christian The non-Christian has a worldly-centered life. In other words, all of the thoughts are connected to the world somehow. The world has permeated the life of the non-Christian. He thinks in worldly terms, worldly categories, worldly lusts, all of these things. Now, that doesn't mean that necessarily that individual lives an openly flagrant sinful life. That simply means that that person is disconnected from God and thus their mind and their life is centered in the world, the things of the world. That's why you read in John, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world, and if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. You see, if you're not a Christian, your life is centered in the world. So again, you must think in terms of am I a Christian or not tonight as we move through these things. Listen to Psalm 10, verse 4. It says, In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. There's no room for God in the life of someone who's not really born again. No room for God in his thoughts. So, we look then at John 1, 12, where it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right... To become the children of God To those that believe in His name And we realize that you become something You become a child of God That He sends the Spirit of His Son into your heart And that the Spirit then begins to generate within you A God-centered life From the very first moment you're born again Now right now somebody's thinking Wait, does this mean the child of God is always thinking about God? Are you saying to me that I'm to be thinking about God every second of the day, that there's no second that goes by when I'm not thinking about God, and if I don't have that kind of a God-centered life, then I'm not a Christian? What are you saying? I know you're thinking that. That's inevitably where your thoughts go in a discussion like this, especially a one-way discussion like this. Well, let me answer that. In a way, no, I'm not saying that, and in a way, I am saying that. Let me explain what I mean. What I mean is this, Jesus Christ, God, is at the center of your life so that everything is affected. Everything in your life is in some way affected by your relationship to Him. In other words, when you're doing well, your life is affected. When you're not doing well, your life is affected. Some of you know the experience of walking very near to God only to then become wayward and depart from Him for a season. And you know the experience of in that season, of waking up in the morning and being far from God and having been far from God, and yet the first thing on your mind is that you're far from God. You understand what I'm talking about? And you go through your day and you're not walking close to God, but all through the day you're thinking about how you're not walking close to God. And you go and you do things that you used to do before you were a Christian, when God wasn't in your thoughts and all that's in your thoughts is you're doing things that you used to do before you were a Christian when God was not in your thoughts. You understand what I'm saying? And every minute of the way, every step of the way, you're thinking to yourself, I've got to get right with God. I've got to get right with God. I'm not right with God. It's not right that I'm not right with God. So what I'm saying to you is this. When you're doing bad and when you're doing good and everywhere in between, if you're truly God's child, God is in the center of your life. So that there is a sense... Where you might not even be sitting and thinking, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, this or that. You might not be thinking in those terms. But everything that's happening to you is somehow related back to God because He has come and He has permeated every part of your life. You see this really explained by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Could you turn there? I love these verses. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. Paul says, For it is God. He says, For it is the God. He puts everything in perspective. This is great. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. He takes us all the way back to Genesis in the very beginning. The God who said, let there be light. He said, it is this God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, who has now shown where? Shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God who said, let there be light. And there was light during creation has come to you if you're a child of God. And He has said the same thing. He has spoken it, as it were, within your soul. And He has said, let there be light in this great dark place. And now the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ has begun to shine in your life. And that light is so powerful that it literally permeates through every single part of your life to the extent that even when you're not walking near to Him, you look at everything in relationship to Him. And so I can say to you with all safety that if you are truly born again, you have a God-centered life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know it so well. But in this setting, it's good to read it again. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, as I've been saying to you, the Christian may lapse, the Christian may fail But in the final sense, your whole life is permeated by God. And you see everything in terms of how it relates to God. Let me take it further and say this. You can never look at the world the same way again if you've been born again. Never. Never again. You remember when the blind man was healed and they took him before the religious leaders and they began to interrogate him. And he's standing with all these educated men, and they're intimidating him. And he said, look, he finally just cut them off. He said, look, I don't know the answer to all these questions. But one thing I do know, I've been a blind man, and I'm not blind anymore. I know that. You can't take that away from me. That's what happens to us when we're born again. We don't know all the answers, but one thing we know up front, I'm not a blind man anymore. And that's because the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ has begun to shine in your life and He's taken the veil off of your eyes. That's one of the first things real Christians say is, I feel like a veil has been removed from my eyes and I see clearly now for the first time. Well, if you're a real born-again Christian, you go on seeing clearly for the rest of your life. You can never go back. You ever talk to somebody who's backslidden and have them say to you, you know what, I'm more miserable now than I was before I came to know Jesus Christ because now I know the truth. Now I know how empty these things are and yet I'm doing them. Yes, the truth is the backslider is the most miserable creature on the earth because they see and yet they've gone back. It is such a foolish thing that the Bible likens it to a dog returning to his own vomit. The Bible says that. I've owned many dogs and I've watched them. I don't know why they do it. But they go out there in the backyard. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. And you all, here it comes, here it comes. Quick, get him out of the house. You know, he's walking through the house. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Get him out of the house. You know, you, you get him out in the backyard. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> grass comes out. You go, grass. You're not a cow, you're a dog, for crying out loud. Somebody inform this creature. That's bad enough, but later he comes sneaking around. You notice that you didn't even clean it up, but it's just clean. The patio's clean. You think, you men, you're weird. I'm getting rid of you. Come back and eat your own vomit? I remember the first time I read that in the Bible. Like a dog returning to his own vomit. I went, oh God, I don't want to live like this. But that is truly what the backslider's life is like. It's a miserable thing. Because you've been changed inside. And that is why if you're truly a child of God, your seasons of backsliding will be only that. Seasons. Because you will return. Because you know the difference now. Because now you know that you have experienced what is truly wonderful in life. It's Jesus Christ. It's the love of God filling your heart. Could you turn to Psalm seventy-three? You see this. It's so, so clear to contemplate it. The psalmist has been in great trouble, tempted, unhappy, looking at the the world around him, watching the non-believers enjoy their life in sin as much as it can be enjoyed, and thinking maybe he's been cheated and maybe he's missing out on something. But he pulls himself together, he recovers himself. And he ends up the psalm toward the end by basically saying this, there is only one thing that matters to me, and that's God. Look at verse 25. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart, and God is what? My portion forever. A God-centered life. A sense of God being the very center of your life. Listen very closely. Can you say that is true about you? Can you say that you have a sense that your whole life is centered in God? Can you say that the very climate of your life, the very atmosphere of your life, is in God? Can you say, in him I live and move and have my very existence? You see, that's what a child of God can say. See, please understand, you can learn all the right phrases. You can. You can learn all the right phrases and you can repeat them like a parrot. All the right theology and you can repeat it like a parrot. But you see, that doesn't mean that you've had a spiritual rebirth that deep down inside, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God has come to shine within you and changed you from the inside out. The Bible talks about tears in the church. Have you ever thought about what, what an individual has to go through to be a terror? Do you know what a terror is? A terror is someone in the church that looks like a Christian and talks like a Christian and for all intents and purposes fools everybody around into thinking they are a Christian. Have you ever wondered at the process an individual must go through to become a good terror? Think about it. I mean, so good that you're like Judas. You fool everybody on the team. Lord, is it I? No one suspected him. Well, it's a great process you've got to go through of learning truth, of, of memorizing the phrases, of parroting them back with just the right inflection, saying, praise the Lord, with a Jesus grin, you know, that it just looks so effective. <laughs> James Kennedy was talking about this, and he said in his preaching, he said, if the Central Intelligence Agency wanted you to be an agent behind the bamboo curtain in China, you would be trained to talk, ask, ask, Look and think Chinese You would go to school and learn the Chinese language So you could speak it fluently without a trace of an accent After studying the mores of China And watching films of Chinese physical characteristics You could duplicate their mannerisms Perhaps you would undergo plastic surgery And have your face changed so you would look Chinese Then you could enter communist China And be welcomed as one of them You would then do everything in the Chinese manner No difference would be noticeable. As far as anyone in China is concerned, you're Chinese. But would you be Chinese? No, not if you did not have Chinese parents. Nothing you can do at that point will change your race. He said, actually, it's the same way spiritually. You may talk and dress like a Christian. You may join Christian organizations and sing Christian songs. And in all ways, act like a Christian. However, none of these things will make you a Christian. You were born sinful, and you have the nature of a sinful race. Nothing you can do outwardly can change this fact. Just as you would have to be born of Chinese parents to be Chinese, so you need a new birth spiritually to be a Christian. That's exactly what we're talking about. You end up changed on the inside to as many as received him and believed on him. He gave the right to become something, to become children of God on the inside with God as the parent. The new birth brings monumental changes on the inside. It is the basic fundamental outlook or attitude that tells them whether or not you're a child of God. You must look inside of you and ask yourself, do I see this in me? So there's a sense of belonging to God, a sense of your whole life being centered in God. Let me take you to a third thought. If you've had this new birth and there is a sense of love for God, I would say a love filled with a sense of gratitude. An unsaved man knows nothing of this kind of love. The Bible says in Romans 8, 7 that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's at odds with God. It cannot connect with God. It's opposed to God. It's the antithesis of being a child of God. But you know what the saved man knows is just the opposite. The real child of God knows a constant refreshment of the love of God. A constant refreshment of the love of God in the life. The Bible says that we love God with good cause because he first loved us. And there's so much bound up in that statement. See, if you're God's child, you're so grateful. You love him so much because he's done so much. You have a great sense of loving gratitude because you understand He's rescued you. And you have seen the changes inside. You've felt the changes inside, and so you love Him. You want to be with Him. You want to read His Word. You want to spend time with Him because you love Him. And you're so thankful. Many years ago, Nathaniel Olson related a story about a poor cripple who was cruelly nicknamed Old Rattlebones by a group of boys in the street. The ringleader of the boys named Freddy was quite worried, however, when the man headed straight toward his home one day. Because his friends were with him, the boy tried to hide his anxiety and began to shout out, Go on, old rattlebones. See who cares if you talk to my mother. The man said with sadness as he continued on his way, You wouldn't call me names if you really understood why I have this condition. Arriving at his destination, he was welcomed by the boy's mother. She told her son to come in also. Turning to Freddy, the man said this, "'Years ago, when you were just a baby, "'your nurse took you out in your carriage for a ride near the river. "'When she let go of the handle for a moment, "'it suddenly began to careen down the river. "'The carriage began to careen down the hill toward the river.' Before she could catch up with it, the buggy had plunged into the water below. I jumped into the river, and after a difficult struggle, brought you safely to shore, but I left before anyone could ask my name. The water that day was ice-cold, and it aggravated my rheumatic condition, and now ten years later, I can barely walk because of the trauma to my body from the river that day. Freddie hung his head and he began to cry. And all he could say was, thank you, thank you for saving me. And forgive me for calling you old rattlebones. bones. I had no idea of who you were and how important you are to me. Thank you for saving me. You see, when you come to Christ and you really become his child, you understand what he has done for you. You understand what he did in dying for you. And it is the most natural thing in the world from there for your heart to respond and to well up with a true love toward Him. To understand that He became flesh and dwelt among us to save me literally pulls from the very depth of my being the deepest possible gratitude that could be known to the human heart and I love Him back. You must love Him if you're God's child. Your relationship to God is not one of habit or tradition or law or anything like that. It is a relationship of love, of gratitude. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And for those reasons, because he's loved you, because he's saved you, because he's changed you, you love him back. That is why it's fair to say to someone if they have no love for God but say they know Him that they don't know Him. Only you can answer that question in your heart tonight. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right, the right, the privilege to become children of God and brought all of those changes with Him when He came into your life. So let's ask ourselves the simple but perhaps the most profoundest question that can ever be asked. What is your feeling about God tonight? What do you feel about God? As you sit here and as you listen to these things, what do you feel about Him? Is your mind wandering? Are you thinking of other things? Are you thinking of some new girl you are met, you're not married, and you're wondering if she's the one? Are you thinking of your job and how unhappy you are there? Are you thinking about the fact that your shirt is worn out and it doesn't look too cool and maybe you should go to the mall tomorrow? Where are you as we're discussing these things? Or are you stirred inside? To respond to God and say, Oh, thank you, God, that so far as we've been moving along, I believe these things are true of me. I believe I am your child. Can you say with the hymn writer at this point, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint, yet I love thee and adore thee, oh, for grace to love you more? Can you say that? You see, a child of God knows his love is unworthy, it's weak, it's faint, but it is love nevertheless. There is a love to God. So there's a sense of belonging to God, a sense of your whole life being centered in God, and a sense of love for God. Let me give you just a few more thoughts quickly. If you're really God's child, there's a sense of respect for God, a healthy respect for God, your Father. And I love the way that God is careful to liberate us to have this respect because in our day and age, it is a rare thing, not a common thing, a rare thing, to find a good father, a natural father who is good to his family, who is good to his wife, who stays with the wife of his youth and raises his family up. It's a rare thing to find a good father. And so it's hard, you know, you come to God, you're reading the Bible about God our Father. And for someone who grew up, say with a drunken father, who was a beast of an individual, who mistreated them, whatever, it's hard to just come and say, Oh, God's my father. Well, that's wonderful. I have no conception at all of what a nice father could be. So if you're telling me God's my father, that only makes me more nervous than I was before. But God is so good. But through the grace of God, by the work of the Spirit, He had Paul write in Romans 15, 6, Our God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, now I understand what kind of a God He is, what kind of a Father He is. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if He is the Father of the One who came to save me and died for me, then oh, what a Father indeed He is. He wrote in Romans fifteen six and again in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Careful to not say, Blessed be God our Father, but to say the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so I understand how loving this Father God of mine truly is. And that liberates me to respect Him, to respect Him for what He has done to save a lost and dying human race, And I look at Jesus and I see the respect he had. He prayed. You know that Jesus, when he prayed to the Father, he prayed, Holy Father. And then when he taught us to pray, what did he teach us to pray? Our Father, who art, where? In heaven, hallowed be thy name. Respect to God. We could go on and on with this. It is the idea of reverencing God. And if there is a love for God, then there will be a true respect for God if the love is true. If you just tell me, I've always loved God. If I hear that, I immediately have red flags that go up. Do you know the Lord? Hey, I've always loved the Lord. Oh, let's talk more about this. You see, if you really love the Lord... You'll respect God as well And you'll respect what He says in His Word And you can go on and on with this The same one that wrote Let us come boldly before the throne of grace That we might find mercy and help In a time of need In Hebrews is the same one that wrote Let us serve God acceptably With reverence and awe Reverence and fear The two are not mutually exclusive The two go together If you love God, you'll respect God If you don't respect God Then you don't love God And you must understand that. And so this is one of the tests, a sense of respect for God. Let me give you a fifth thought, just very quickly, a sense of pride in God. A sense of pride in God. Now, John feels that this is the greatest thing in all of life, to become a child of God, as he says in verse 12. And I'm talking about a healthy pride. I'm talking about this, not being ashamed that you belong to God. I'm talking about this, someone saying, are you one of these weird Jesus people, Bible thumper freakos? You mean, do I love the Lord? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yes, I am, and I'm proud of it. I'm proud to be connected with Him. Now, that's a healthy pride. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me... And my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that same individual when he comes in his Father's glory with the angel. He said in Matthew 10:32 and 33, Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. The true child of God feels good about being God's child and is not ashamed of it and isn't ashamed to tell people they're connected with Him. And that's what holy boldness is all about. It's all about being happy and proud to belong to God and thankful, and so a sense of pride in God, a healthy pride. A sixth thought I want to give you just quickly is a desire to know Him better. Do you have that? Do you hunger and thirst? Does your heart pant after God like the thirsty deer for water? A desire to know God's God better. How much we could say on that. Let me take you to the last thought. If you're God's child, uh, this is so good then you have had a sense of special manifestations of, the, of love from God to your soul. Times when God has overwhelmed you with His love. Times when God has come in and warmed you with His love. Times when God has perhaps brought you to the point of tears with His love. Times when you were most undeserving and yet there He was, encouraging you and loving you and filling you until your heart just burst with a sense of deep gratitude toward Him. special manifestations of his love i'm not talking about wacko imaginations in the mind that people conjure up i'm talking about honest to goodness still wonderful glorious experiences before the throne of god where he has touched you in a unique way i can look back on my life i'm sure you can and i can see a trail of those experiences i can tell you the time the place what i felt No one can take that from you if you're God's child. Have you had those manifestations? If you've had them, you're willing to give up everything in life that would block them from you and go on to enjoy them more. Well, if you're God's child, you have a sense of belonging to God, a sense of your whole life being centered in God, a sense of love for God, a sense of respect for God, a sense of pride in God, a desire to know Him better, and a sense of special manifestations of love from God. I want to leave you with these words. See if they ring true in your heart. O love divine, how sweet thou art! When shall I find my willing heart all taken up with thee? O that I could forever sit, like Mary at the Master's feet, be this my happy choice, My only care, delight, and bliss, my joy, my heaven on earth is this, to hear the bridegroom's voice. Can you say that? Do you long for him? If so, you're his child. If not, you need to open up your heart and give your life to him now. And he will take you. If you're willing to come on his terms, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord God, for Jesus. And thank you, God, for all that you have done for all of us that know you. So unworthy, so undeserving, so wayward even in our most devoted hours. And yet you have set your love upon us. O God, may every heart be honest before you this day. May those that truly do not know you make the commitment now simply by honestly opening their hearts to you. Do that now if you don't know Jesus. If God is speaking to your heart and you know he's talking to you, don't harden your heart. Let it open up to him. Receive him as the Lord and God of your life and express your desire to truly turn from your sins and follow him and let him lead you from here. And keep on seeking him until his life is manifested in your soul in these ways. Father, work your great work of salvation in every heart and continue to draw us after you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.